That was fantastic, Miss Becky. Thanks. As probably the least musical person in the room, and also the only person in the room that's like super ready for the sermon every Sunday, I sit there so eager, and then on those pretty songs that kind of fade at the end and then pick back up, you know, when they fade, I'm ready to go, and then they pick back up, and no, not yet, not yet. I feel like I'm sitting on the front pew going, now, 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 now. It's way easier when I can just watch Chris and he can kind of be singing and he knows I don't know. And then I can, <laughs> much easier when I can just watch Chris. So anyway, I do my best. Listen, I love you. I'm so thankful that we get to gather together. Thanks for trying to follow Jesus this week. I know that whether you are a retiree or whether you're a seventh grader or a fourth grader, college student, you've been trying to follow the Lord. And I'm thankful for that. And we're church family. We're gathering together to seek Him. I pray this Holy Spirit would minister to us. Well, right now we're in the middle of something very special for the church. For the next five years, we're going to be focused. We will not let the church be on autopilot. Listen to me. We have, in my opinion, the greatest church on planet Earth. I love the people that worship here, that serve here. I love the history we have, the resources. I, just, I feel right when I'm in the room with you. I love that God's called us together. And we are not going to let a church this special ever be on autopilot. God's given us some great things. So for the next five years, we are going to be as focused and healthy as we can be. We're going to use what we call the five-by-five-by-five plan to keep our nose to the grindstone. This, simply put, in the next five years, we're challenging the body of Jesus right here to impact 5,000 families for Christ, to change their trajectory toward the Lord, to make an eternal difference in, in 5,000 families by making a significant change in their life and relationship to the Lord. We want to tell 500 stories in those five years of how God is using us and what we saw the Holy Spirit do, of how lives were changed. So five by five by five, five years, we want to impact 5,000 families for Christ. We want to tell 500 stories for His glory. Listen, we are a church full of ordinary folks who are determined to demonstrate the glory of God to all generations and all nations. And I'm glad you're part of that today. Let me pray for you, and we'll dive in to the sermon this morning. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the college students and the children, for the senior adults, the moms, the dads. Father, for the single parents, for the guests and the friends. God, I thank you for every person that you've gathered in your sanctuary today. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak straight to each one of us, that every person here would have an encounter with you, that we would all be moved by your grace, that we'd feel you, Lord, giving us a nudge to take our next step with Jesus, and that you would help us to be the people that you want us to be. We ask your blessing on our church family. Father, that when we scatter for a week of missions and service to you in just a minute, Lord, that your spirit would go with us. Father, that you would do good work and show us where you're working. Let us join you. We pray for a week of effective mission in your name. God, that we could bless others and be effective witnesses for Jesus. We ask for that blessing in Christ's name. Amen. For the last six weeks, we've been uh, in a study on spiritual development, spiritual formation. Basically, just we're reminding everybody in the church that our first step is that we've got to grow in Jesus. 
We've got to grow in Christ so that He can change us from the inside out. And if Christ changes us from the inside out, then we can be a blessing to other people. We can be a, we can be a blessing to the nations. So we've been talking about spiritual formation. We've talked about things like living in Christian community together. We've talked about prayer and Bible study, following the nudges of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about serving, different disciplines that help us grow in Jesus, things that Christ expects from us, but also things that unlock our identity in Christ. Well, today's sermon may be the one that for all of us is the toughest. I mean, daily prayer routine, I know we struggle there sometimes, or reading your, reading your Bible, finding your place of service, but today's lesson is probably the one where we need God's help the very most, where we need the Holy Spirit to come to each one of us, and just, we need to tell them, listen, I don't know how to do this, and I'm asking for your help. Today we're going to talk about sharing the message of Christ, sharing the good news, and I want to just go ahead and level the playing field, and I want everybody to exhale today. Listen, I know I've read enough church stats to know that most of us are not actively sharing the gospel right now. And I am not here to bring a guilt trip to anybody so everybody on every pew can just breathe out and relax. You can just all together, we just go, huh, all right. So you are free to allow God to work in your heart for the next 30 minutes without me throwing a guilt trip at you. But the truth is, as churches, as Christian people, we really struggle at sharing the gospel. Like we know we're supposed to, and honestly, I think deep down we want to. We probably feel a little shamed that we really don't do this very well. But we know that we just kind of stink at it. We're scared. Sometimes we don't love people enough to get out there and try to share. If God gave you the chance to share, some of you would say, I, I'm not really sure what to say. Or I'm terrified that they're going to look at me and ask a theological question that I cannot answer. We've got a thousand reasons that we do not try to engage in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. But I want to say this. Imagine the church together. If that week scattered on mission. Imagine if all of us felt empowered, inspired, and equipped by God to share the gospel. Just for a minute, imagine this. Imagine all the people out there today who are far from God or lost who need to hear the gospel. Now, imagine that there are six church ministers that have to try to go find those people, which we're lousy at, right? Because they're at work with you. We don't get to see them, right? So imagine if the baptistry could only be stirred at the handiwork of a handful of professional ministers who aren't necessarily better at this than you. But just imagine. I want you to recognize that there are thousands of lost people in the Pine Belt thousands and if the work of the baptistry if the redeeming work of jesus christ in their soul depends on a handful of holy rolling ministers six that's a pretty small funnel like we're doomed right but now take that funnel and flip it upside down like this and realize okay that in the church there aren't six ministers there are as many ministers as there are breathing people in the sanctuary today. We believe in the doctrine called the kingdom of priests. We believe that every person equipped as a believer, empowered by the Holy Spirit, could share the message of Christ and minister to somebody. We believe that every person in this room can share Jesus Christ for, with another person. And they can give their life to Jesus and you can become their disciple maker. 
that you can walk them to the baptistry and watch them give their life to Jesus Christ. We believe that you, the kingdom of priests, are unleashed every week. You don't need the six of us. There are 500 of you turned loose on the pine belt every week for the work of redemption. That's awesome. Now think of how many people could be touched. How many people who are far from God could be reclaimed? How many people who are lost who could celebrate in the baptistry as they claim eternal life in Jesus Christ? Now, th- but there's one missing link. It, for me, as a leader, I want to see it happen, but I recognize there's a big missing link, okay? There may be two, but in one of them I can do something about, one of them I can't. The two are, number one, nobody can motivate, I can't motivate anybody else. And I've gone through seasons of my life where I look back at my own heart, and I'm just confession from the pulpit. And I've been so busy, or so distracted, or so worried about where I was going to eat lunch, or where I was going to go for vacation, or what I was going to do on Saturday, so busy and distracted, that I did not slow down, listen, or take those nudges from the Holy Spirit to find lost people, invest in them, and invite them into the kingdom of heaven. So I'm confessing to you, there have been times when my motivation was in the tank. And the truth is, I'm not going to be a good witness for Jesus if there's not a fire inside me to love my neighbor, find people, and share the gospel with them, right? I can't fix that one. That one is between me and Jesus or you and Jesus. And I recommend we all pray and ask God to give us a love for neighbor. But the other, the other roadblock I can help with, and that's the sermon today. So I want you to take your Bibles to Romans chapter 10 And we're just going to move a roadblock right out of the way so that we can unleash a kingdom of priests on the pine belt today. You ready, Miss Emily? Miss Emily's ready. She's raring to go. In Romans chapter 10, Paul the Apostle is trying to establish the gospel. He's also trying hard to get a church to support him as he goes to preach the gospel in Spain. He wants to go to Spain and tell people about Jesus because they aren't hearing. They don't know that God has taken our sins away in Christ. They do not know that they can be righteous with God. They could actually be adopted into God's family. They can have a clean conscience and a pure heart, not just by trying harder or worrying, but they can be right with God by putting their faith in the Messiah who died on a cross to take their sins, who rose from the dead to give them life. But Paul knows that they in Spain don't know that. He wants to tell them. Secondhand, this this will blow you away. When you read Romans carefully, you'll recognize that even in chapter 10, where Paul is begging for missions, Paul believes there are a lot of religious people, a lot of Jewish people, who go to church every, every Saturday, who have not accepted Christ as their Lord. And he wants to preach to them. He wants religious people to have a chance to be saved. That's a good idea. Paul knows people need to hear it, and so today we're going to read Romans 10 when Paul is writing about this missionary, missional drive to share the gospel. And this is how I want us to try to address that second problem, okay? And that second problem is if you are motivated and you want to share, and God sends you out and the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and you see people and now you're ready to witness Many of us feel like, but Ben, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I I don't feel equipped. And so the sermon today, by sharing the gospel, I want to tell you what to say, and I want to tell you why to say it. So what to share and why to share it. So what to share first. Let's talk about it. Romans chapter 10. Will you just read with me from verse 6 and following? 
So here's what you're going to read. Paul's going to talk about going to get Jesus and bring him down or going to raise him from the dead. And here's what he's telling the people. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, way back in the Old Testament, Moses, the most famous prophet ever for Israel, had just gotten the law of God down from heaven on Mount Sinai. God met with his people and was establishing covenant with them, making them his people. Second, they just crossed the Red Sea and had their lives saved by God. Great victory by God. All right, so now at the end of Moses' life, he's looking back on all those experiences, and he's basically telling Israel they've got no excuse for, walk, for not walking with God. So he says this. He basically says, look, Israel, the Word of God, it's not far off. It's not like way up in heaven that somebody should go get it down. I mean, God already brought it. He said, look, it's not out there across the sea that somebody would have to go get it. He brought us right through the sea. And Moses says, look, the Word of God, it's very, very near you. I mean, it's right there in your mouth. It's right there in your heart. Well, Paul has read his Bible all his life. And so when he writes Romans 10, he thinks back to that moment. And he smiles and he says, that's right. It's not up in heaven because God sent Jesus down. And he says, oh, you know what? It's not down in the deep because God raised Jesus up. Everything is done. It is in our mouth. It's the words we're supposed to preach. And he says, oh, Moses said, it's in my heart and my mouth. And he explains that it's because with my mouth, I'll confess Christ. With my heart, I'll believe and be saved. But in this context, Paul makes a beautiful presentation of the gospel. Romans 10, 6. The righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But, what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to use this text from Moses and walk through it with you together. Just answer this question. What do you share? If God gives you the opportunity to share this week, what do you share? So what we've got to learn as a congregation, as believers in the 21st century, we've got to learn how to have gospel conversations. Listen, the, the, the problems that we feel sharing the gospel, they're not unique to us. Everybody feels them. So listen, if you're in seventh grade today and you think, I want to tell people about Jesus, but I don't know what to say. Or if you're a senior adult and you say, Ben, I'm 75. Do you know how hard it is to try to teach an old dog new tricks? You're telling me to start witnessing for 75 years I've not done this and i got to start today? Hey, it, we're all in the same boat together, but if we're going to obey God, we need to know what do we say. And so here's where we're going to start, Romans chapter 10. What do you say? I'm going to offer you my suggestions for starting a gospel conversation. All around America today, believers have lost this ability. And as a result, we are bored with our Christianity. We're like deer hunters who read magazines, sharpen arrows, reload shells, but never go into the woods. We're like football fans 
who got posters on our walls, cowbells in our closets, but we never sit in the stands. We know this faith that gives people life, but we are never involved in sharing it and watching somebody receive eternal life. And as a result, we're bored. And I'm going to tell you that nothing will wake your faith up like trying to share Christ for the glory of God. Re-engaging the call of God. So if you're in seventh grade, if you're a guest, if you're 82, let's get rolling. What do we do? My advice to you, gospel conversation requires four things. One of them is motivation. I can't give you that. The other three are these three things. All right. Number one, you got to turn a conversation towards the gospel. And you'll learn that. I'm not here to talk about that so much today, but you've got to figure out how to make the gospel conversation move towards the gospel so you can see if the person is interested or not, so you can be praying with the Holy Spirit about what's your next step. But the second part, and that's what we're preaching about today, is you've got to learn a core conversation about the gospel. You've got to learn how to share what you need to share with somebody about how God loves them. Well, there are simple tracks like this. You know, there are plenty of tracks that teach you the four steps that you could walk through if, you, if it helps you. God loves you and has a plan for your life. Sin has separated us from God and made a mess of things. But Jesus died on a cross to satisfy the requirements of sin, to, to give you freedom and innocence and wash away your sins so that you could be adopted into God's family. And fourth, hey, listen, you've got a choice to make. Do you want to accept that freedom from Jesus and give your life to God or not? You could learn something like that, or you could read through your Bible, or you could pray, or you could ro- use Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are a lot of gospel cores that you could use to, to, to guide your conversation. But the third thing you've got to learn to do is you've got to learn to offer a response. You, you've got to be able to say, so after listening to that, I'm just curious, I want to I serve you well today. So if you've heard that, are you interested in giving your life to Jesus Christ today? that's it. And what I want to talk about from Romans chapter 10 is what do you say? I'll draw back on an experience for you. So we go out on Thursday nights in the fall and in the spring with evangelism teams. And so we basically knock on the door and introduce ourselves and try to minister to whoever's on the other side of that door. And we want to share the gospel. Well, one of the things that we try to do, and this helps a lot, is we've learned that it's really useful if you can ask this key question. Everybody listen to the key question. I want you to hear it. Key question is, hey, in your, in your personal opinion, what does it take for a person to go to heaven when they die? You could change the question if you needed to. Hey, in your personal opinion, what does it take for a person to have peace with God? Hey, in your personal opinion, what does it take for a person to be right with God? Three different questions. It's really the same point. In your personal opinion, what does it take for a person to go to heaven when they die? And you listen. Let somebody give their answer. Listen to their answer. And then if they're open, you say, that's a good answer. I appreciate you sharing that. Do you mind if I share what the Bible has to say? And then listen. Now, let's just pause there for a second. So uh, one of my evangelism partners a couple years ago had a teenage son. And as we were going out sharing this, she said, you know what? I don't know what my son would say. I know he's saved, but what would he say? And I've recognized that a lot of us, we're not sure what to share because we're not even sure what we believe so much. So she went home and asked her son, you know, if, if I ask you the question, in your personal opinion, what does it take for a person to go to heaven when they die, what would you answer? Listen to his answer. And we've done that with lots of other people that we know are saved just to hear. So I'm asking you, if I asked you that, don't say it out loud, right? But here's the question. In your personal opinion, what does it take for a person to, to go to heaven when they die? How would you answer that? The answers that we usually get is, are stuff like this, like, 
go to church. I think, I mean, I basically, I do think I go to heaven. I'm a pretty good person. I go to church. Um, I'm not bad like bad people. Like, I'm not bad, bad, you know. Uh, I go to church a lot. I try, I'm, a, I'm good. I, uh, I try to do things. I, I pray uh, some. And we listen. But basically, people consistently give works-based answers. And what we need everybody to understand is there's one path to heaven, and that's because you've given your life to Jesus Christ. Listen, God has already done all the work for you. But the answer is not that you're doing really good. The answer is that Jesus died to give you adoption to his family. Have you asked him to be your Savior or have you not? Have you made him your Lord or have you not? So let's draw back. If you would say, well, Ben, um, I'm basically a good person. Here's my question, okay? Well, how good do you have to be? Like, how do you know if you were good enough? How, how many good works you feel like it takes to tip those scales? That's not how it works. Um, ben, I, I read my Bible every day, somebody said this week. Cool. How many days do you think you have to read your Bible before God says, Oh, that's enough. You've passed the mark. You can come into heaven. See, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. It's not about how often you go to church. And, and it's not about how good you are. And if you're better than somebody else you can find on earth. It's about have you given your life to Jesus Christ. Here's the point. The book of Romans tells us that God has given us righteousness. That Christ came to the earth. Paul, Paul said... You don't have to go up and get it. That's to bring Christ down. You don't have to go down and get it. He's raised from the dead already. The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. So I want you to turn your attention to Romans 10 verse 9. If you don't know what to share with somebody, I want you to write Romans 10 9. Write it down in your Bible. Write it down on one of the blue encouragement cards we give away. Because I want to show you this is the most clear answer in the New Testament to me about, Ben, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I do? In other words, if you get to have a gospel conversation this week, and you say, in your personal opinion, what does it take for a person to go to heaven when they die? And they say, well, gosh, I'm really not that sure. I don't know. And they look at you and say, what does it take? And you want to be able to tell them, well, what does it take? To me, Romans 10, 9. It's the best answer I can find in the Bible. Here's what it says. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two things, as simple as it can possibly be. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Now, here's what I want to point out to you. Let's walk through those two things. So number one, how hard is it for you to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord? Everybody watch me, look up here, all you especially vocal instructors and others, watch this. Jesus is Lord. Took about three seconds, it was easy to say, very easy to say. But everybody knows that God's not duped. In other words, it's not hard to say Jesus is Lord, that's not the point. People can't just say Jesus is Lord and the church go, oh great, we did what God, no, no, no. It's easy to say Jesus is Lord. It's a hard thing to decide. It's an easy thing to say. It's a hard decision to choose. Because to choose that Christ is your Lord means that you're abandoning all other gods. You're not going to live anymore for the gods of sex or money or popularity. You're not going to live anymore for the God of making straight A's or impressing your neighbors. 
You're not going to bend your knee to the gods of sports or your hobbies. Christ becomes your Lord and all those other things become tools to serve Him. So confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord. The fact is, it's easy to say it, but really what Paul wants is to ask, have you chosen that? Did you make a decision that Jesus is your Lord? The second thing, believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead. Why this, Paul? Why believe this? Paul makes it clear throughout the book of Romans that the way that I'm right with God, it's not because I impressed God, it's not because I was good, it's not because I was Baptist, it's not because I was American. The only thing that mattered is that Jesus Christ died on a cross to take my sins away. He became a sacrifice. He took on himself all the sins that I could not pay for. He was placed in a tomb because death is the punishment for sin. But he was raised on the third day. Overcoming sin and death and the grave, Jesus rose from the dead to give me life. That's as clear as it can be in the book of Romans, especially in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. And so Paul says, Ben, it takes two things. First, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Second, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Why the resurrection of the dead? Because that's how you're right with God. Not by your good works, not by how much you read your Bible, not by your good deeds, not by your church attendance. There's one way to be right with God, and that's to put your faith in Jesus who died and rose from the dead and gives freely the innocence that you need. Jesus wants to give freely the grace that you crave, the adoption into God's family, the forgiveness and innocence. So, for summary... If you get the opportunity this week to share the good news, to have a gospel conversation, and you can turn that gospel conversation to the gospel, and you ask, in your opinion, what does it take for a person to be right with God, and somebody gives you any other answer in the world besides Jesus, do you know what to say next? Well, now you do. What does it take to be right with God? You confess that Christ is your Lord. Have you chosen Him, and will you declare it? Will you march to the waters of baptism to demonstrate that Christ is the Lord that you've chosen, and you're not ashamed to declare it? You confessed Christ is Lord. Second, do you believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead? Are you convinced yet that God has freely given righteousness? And you're not still dead set determined to prove him wrong and earn it by your good deeds. But you're willing to stop and laugh and say, I could never make myself right without your help. It's the resurrection of Jesus. Of course it is. That's it. You've just passed Ben Skipper's class of Evangelism 101. You're all qualified now to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ this week, scattered on mission. This is what you need to know. Now, why would you share it? I want to make this point. Look in verse 14 with me. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent Here's what I want you to see. When Paul wrote these four questions in a row, boom, 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 every one of these four questions kind of had an implied answer. So what I want you to do, if you will, to entertain the preacher, let me ask you to do this. I'm going to read those questions one at a time. 
And then just to wake up the kids in the church, I want you enthusiastically, when I read the question, I want you to give me the rhetorical answer, which is they can't. So I'll read a question, I'll, and you guys will say they can't. Let's just, I'll show you how this works in Romans. Are you ready? So in verse 14, how then can they call on one whom they've not believed in? They can't. And how can they believe in the one on whom they've not heard? They can't. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? You're being sent. When Christ saved you, you're commissioned to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, how can they believe if they've never heard? The unique thing about the Christian gospel is nobody is going to look at the stars in the sky and suddenly realize that righteousness was a free gift of God, they're going to think they have to earn it. Nobody's, gonna, nobody's just going to use their logic when they walk out of college and say, you know, I've got some good ideas about morality and human ethics, and suddenly say, and you know, the core of it is I believe God himself came to die on a cross to take our sins and freely give me righteousness and overcome the grave for me. It's a free gift of God. No one will guess that their righteousness has already been won for them. Nobody is going to own their own without a vision from God or a word from your mouth discern that God gives grace. They're going to think they have to earn it. They're going to say, well, be a pretty good person. You know, better than Hitler. Here's the problem in the Pine Belt. And it's a problem around the globe. The act of God's love and grace, Jesus dying on a cross, is so mind-boggling, it's so backwards from the way most of us operate every day that nobody is going to guess that God built His family on a free gift that He wants to give that you don't earn. We're always going to try to make it based on our achievements unless somebody preaches and tells them otherwise. How are they going to hear unless somebody preaches? You've got to preach to them. They can't. How are you going to preach to them unless you're not sent? You've got to be sent. So you are. And I'm challenging you today as you dismiss this service. Recognize you are a kingdom of priests on mission. Paul wanted to go to Spain. I want you to go to the Pine Belt. Paul wanted to tell religious Israelites about Jesus. I want you to tell religious people who are far from God but trust in their membership in a church or that their dad was a pastor or that they've been on a pew all their life and they're not trusting in Jesus. Tell them the gospel. Paul wanted to go to Spain and preach to Gentiles. Go out into the lost parts of the city and tell with those who've never heard, who don't think God would let them into his family. Surprise them with the good news that he's dying to. And Paul said this, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Today, you are bringing the good news. And I just want to challenge Carterville Baptist Church with a few things. Number one, does every person in this sanctuary feel equipped to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and answer the question of what does it take for a person to be saved could every person in this sanctuary do that today if God gave you the chance 
Second question, will you? Will you go? As we're sowing seeds of grace this year and trying really hard to be focused outside, we're using ping pong balls to remind us to love our neighbor, to go out and reach out to people, to not be an inwardly focused church, but to care for people beyond ourselves. Every time that you reach out to somebody and make an attempt to serve them for the Lord, to invite them to church, to pray for them, to to make disciples, or to witness to them in the gospel, you're sowing those seeds of grace, and that's great. But what if one of those seeds of grace sprouts? What if they look at you and say, I need to hear what you're trying to tell me? Would you be tempted to pull out your phone and say, let me call my pastor, Ben, can you meet me at Wendy's? Or could you put a smile on your face and take out your phone instead and turn your Bible to Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and say, let me read with you and I will walk with you as you ask Jesus Christ to give you salvation. And next Sunday, I'll walk with you to the baptistry of my church and celebrate new life with you. And next Wednesday, I'll meet with you at the table right here at Wendy's and I'll start to teach you what I know about Jesus. You feel comfortable? Because God has anointed you for the work. So I'll close the sermon today with two simple, simple, simple questions. Number one, is there anybody here today, you came to church, and I'm so thankful you did, but as you've sat in church, the Spirit's convicted you, and you know that you have not taken your step of obedience. You have not chosen Christ as your Lord. You know right now you're far from God and you want to fix that. Well, you're in the right place. Come share with me during this time of response. Or talk to any one of our pastors or any of your Christian friends in this church. Let's share with you how to pray a simple prayer and ask Christ to be your Savior. It's not the prayer. It's the decision that you are making Him your Lord. Now and forever. We'd love for you to get that right this morning. I'll be down here. You're surrounded by people who would serve you. But don't leave church today without giving your life to Jesus Christ so that his resurrection can cleanse you of your sins. The second thing is this. second thing is this. All right, gang, we're surrounded by brothers and sisters that are in the same boat as us who say, Ben, I need to do better with the rest of my life sharing the gospel. And Paul said, how are the folks out there going to believe if they, if they don't hear? And how are they going to hear if nobody preaches? And how, is, how are they going to have a preacher if there's no preacher sent to them? And the simple question is, will you go? I'm not asking you to go to Africa. I'm asking you to go out those doors and listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you to be ready to use the YMCA, the baseball fields, restaurants, and your kitchen table. Will you go? I'm asking you to make the middle school your mission field, your college campus the access to the nations. I'm just asking you, will you go? Paul said, how beautiful are the feet of those who take the news, the gospel of God's victory over sin, death, and evil. Will you take the good news this week? Let me pray for you. Father, I ask your grace on us as a church family. As we try to be obedient to you and respond to what we've read in Romans 10, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful. God, I pray that you would help us to be able to share the good news and ready to share the good news. We ask for your blessings on this. and I pray that your Holy Spirit 
would stir over us right now, Lord, that you'd speak clearly, that you'd give us courage that we lack, that you would give us a love for our neighbor that we lack, that we could not be content knowing they haven't heard. God, I pray that you give us wisdom that we lack. I ask you, Lord, that you would stir the baptistry a thousand times over by this kingdom of priests that you will unleash on the pine belt with the good news of a gospel of grace given freely and earned by Jesus. I ask that your name would be glorified through this in Jesus' name.